Thanks so much to Sentry.io for sponsoring Does Not Compute. Listen, Sentry understands developers. They know your code's broken, and they just want to help you fix it. In an ideal world, you'd be able to test everything and test it perfectly. But writing tests is actually really difficult, and it's impossible to cover every edge case, or to anticipate the action of a really smart or really dumb user. So, despite your best laid plans, your code inevitably will go belly up. You could rely on users to report errors, but is that really what you want? It's not only a frustrating experience, but you'll end up with incomplete or misleading bug reports that are going to waste the time of both support and development teams. That's why Sentry is here to tell you about errors in your code before your customers even have a chance to see them. Detailed error reports include contextual information about an error to help you reproduce and fix it, which includes a full stack trace, the commit where that line of code was checked in, and even the developer to blame for it. You can get a breadcrumb trail that tracks the user's actions leading up to the error, so you can reproduce it without ever reaching out to the user. And Sentry integrates with a deployment pipeline, so you can track errors and catch them before they even make it to production. Sentry has first-party support for a ton of client and server-side platforms, including a couple of DNC favorites, Vue.js, Rails, and yes, even Elixir. So head on over to Sentry.io to give it a try. They have a free developer account, which is perfect for personal projects and early-stage applications. Sentry.io. Your code is broken. Let's fix it together. Hey, Sean. Hi. Welcome to the end of the, the year. That's right. Oh, I mean, yeah, I guess by the time this rever- reverberates off some eardrums, it'll be close to the end of the year. You got anything on your wish list from Santa? Have you been good this year, first of all? Uh, I have actively discouraged people from getting me anything. <laughs> That's true. You're trying to move. You probably want as little stuff as possible. I just don't want people to get me stuff. I don't need stuff. Oh, that's good. I didn't get you anything, so. Yeah, don't get me anything. You're welcome. That's your present. My mom's like, what do you want? I was like, don't get me anything. She's like, I can't get that. <laughs> oh, mom. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want anything. So that's that. But uh, what do I have on my wish list? My wish list, uh, I would like to get some more sleep. I'm in the downward spiral of this cycle where my body doesn't want to rest. And eventually I will get sick and my body will force itself to rest. Yeah, that's a cycle. It's a cycle. I don't like. I don't like to take. Uh, I don't like to take drugs to to help with that. Usually, like I'm really resistant to drugs, so I have to take a whole pile of them <laughs> to to get the desired effect, and I don't like to do that. So just let the let, let the cycle be what it is. Yeah. Well, holidays coming up. You get some. Well, <laughs> some relaxing cross country drives in. I'm about to sit in a U-Haul for like five days. So there's that. <laughs> Towing a car too. Well, uh, yeah. I can't believe that. Yep. Yep. Well, it'll start. I mean, there's three of us in the U-Haul, so. There's a very good chance that someone will be like, I can't handle this, and they just drive the car. It's like a, but, <laughs> it's like a Disney Channel original movie in the making. Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, it, it's I'm used to it by now, I guess. So I'm not too worried about it, really. Like, I just don't like to drive through Oklahoma because the last three times I've been in Oklahoma, I've been in car accidents. Oh no. Yeah. So I just that's what I'm. I'm mostly not looking forward to that. But that's other than that, I'm I'm not worried about anything. I totaled and left my car in Nebraska once. So you just loved it. Yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah, it's nothing I could do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Totaled it, left it in the junkyard, grabbed my crap, and just got a rental. Yeah, there was, I was on, oh, where's West Virginia? I was headed from West Virginia to Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. And our bus broke down and they just like left it. It was a really <laughs> old bus and they just left it in West Virginia. Something happened with, uh, it was, it, yeah, it, it basically just fell apart um, on the highway. And so we had to like kind of crash pull over. 
there's like a, some blowouts happened and I think something happened with the axle and the tire, like it caused the tires to go. And so, <laughs> yeah, so we ended up having to like obviously call a tow truck and everything like that. And then we ended up, a lot of us ended up walking down the highway back to the nearest exit and then hopping oh in a hotel for a few days. With all the gear and everything? Uh, just left it under the bus. I mean, we went back and got it later. The bu- We didn't get the bus. We got the gear out of the bus. But the bus, as far as I know, it, the bus is still in West Virginia <laughs> at some dump. I don't know. But that's funny. It's very, very familiar experiences there. It's a terrible night. I remember we, so just as luck would have it, there, I mean, West Virginia is really small and there was some sort of conference in town. And so we got to the hotel and they're like, yeah, we're booked up. And so we basically slept on the floor of the lobby, just kind of like slept on the couches in the floor of the lobby as people checked oh out, God. we checked into their rooms. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like the, uh, the one guy at, at Christmas time at the mall parking lot, like stalking people right. as they go back to their cars. Are you checking out? Are you checking out? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was all right. It wasn't, I mean, it was like, it was nice. It was much needed downtime, but just like sitting in a hotel room for a couple of days kind of sucked. Wasn't really much to do around there. So yeah, familiar experiences. Hopefully that doesn't, you know, hopefully nothing crazy happens uh, on our drive. I don't expect anything bad to happen, but. Yeah, best luck to you guys. Yeah. Hopefully the weather is good. And are you going to just book it? You're going to take your time or. We're just going to go. Yeah. I mean, we've. Yeah. Jamie's done the trip before and I've done it a few times as well. So there's not really like no offense to anyone in the Midwest, but there's nothing really to see there. I, I mean, I grew up there, so it's like. I'm very familiar with the sites. Been there, done that. Yeah, so we're not really gonna we're gonna go through Iowa and stop at the Ball Yarn or you don't want to see the world's largest corn palace. I've been there actually in uh, South Dakota. <laughs> of course you have. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, the corn palace. I've been there. I went there when I was a kid. Actually, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So we went up there. We saw. We went in some caves. There's some caves up there. We went and saw uh, Mount Rushmore. Got a helicopter ride around over there. I think there were some. Air, I think that's where I was in an air balloon as well. I think they were having like an air balloon thing around there uh, and we saw the corn palace. Oh, your uh, earthquake balloon? Well, pat pending. Um, earthquake balloon pat pending. That's that's maybe where the dream started was was in South Dakota. I think I'm pretty sure it was South Dakota. And ended. Yeah. But yeah, so. We uh, we actually have we have an idea for a topic today. We're going to see how this goes. We want to do a little uh, 2018 year in review. It's the end of the year, wrapping up, settling in for next year. And uh I don't know, we talked about maybe doing resolutions, but <laughs> Yeah. Eh. Don't want to jinx it, right? No, well it's just resolutions are one of those things that like it, it seems like a good idea for a week and then you just they just go out the window. I mean, it's just right. it's just human nature. So I don't know. Let's talk about some of the stuff that we've been working on and reminisce about the good and bad times of twenty eighteen and I don't know, maybe we'll get some lessons out of that for next year. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, do you want to go first, maybe? Nope. Oh. I volunteer you. Well, I, I talk too much. Uh, we'll go. We'll limit, I'll try to limit the time that I, that I stammer into the microphone. All right. Yeah, thinking about 2018. It's hard for me to separate mentally between 2017. Like, there's a lot of changes between 2017 and 2018 because I've been doing this shot for two years now. And it all seems like such a blur. It's like it's all running running together. Yeah, I mean, this is the longest you've worked on an individual project, right? Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, this is the longest I've worked on because, like, before that, I had I had basically just been working on consulting. So you know, we would spend six months, eight months, uh, on on one project, and so they they would just just keep on keep on trucking through, basically. So two years is definitely the longest I spent on one one product, and. It's yeah, it's been interesting. So thinking about, I'm trying to think about this year specifically. And this year specifically, there was the ma- the main difference really. I think is that like Paul's around. So like my first year of the company, like a little 
a year, a little over a year of, of Design Collective, it was just me doing all the tech things. And I can't exactly remember when he joined, but so this year we've had a second developer, which is, has been really, really nice. And I think maybe that's the biggest difference this year than other years for Design Collective is that I don't feel quite as buried. Sure. And it seems like it's only been a net win. I mean, have you really had to change your processes at all? You've kind of evolved a little bit to support two people, but I, mm-hmm. I think two people is not really that much different than one developer, especially when you're working on separate things. You know, well, you're not working yeah. on the same stuff at the same time necessarily. Right. Yeah. So I think I think most of the exploration we've done is is around like figuring out how the team works together. Because like we had Slack in the beginning, but we weren't using anything else for like bug reporting really. We were trying to use GitHub, but most of the non-technical people didn't really use it or didn't really, you know, they didn't, they would just like add duplicates all the time and things like that. So it wasn't a great solution there. And it made it hard for me to kind of reason about because I'd have to go through and like actually like retag everything, relabel all this stuff. And so that didn't really work out. And so then we saw Twist and Twist is like a great idea. Like Twist basically just has the different channels, right? So you can actually have structured conversations. Each channel has the subject and that's what you're kind of talking about. It's It's more like threaded communication. But that doesn't really work well for us either because that doesn't if if you're using that for like bug reports and support and things like that it's kind of hard after a while there get you get so many channels going it's hard to like jump back to those and follow follow up in in like a chat setting yeah too much fragmentation there yeah there's too much fragmentation which is interesting so then we moved we 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 stopped using the channels in twist and we were just we were just using um just one general channel really and a couple of private channels to talk to each other and then we went to Trello, and for whatever reason, the Kanban style just really clicked for everybody. So including the non-technical people, they were able to just use it much more efficiently than they were using Twist. And yeah, so then we, we used Trello for quite a while, and then until recently, we switched to something else that it's more of a CRM, but it has Trello-like capabilities. And I'll talk about that later as we kind of get more in, into it in the new year. But so that's really been a lot of, a lot of the... Um, changes that we've been going through is like, okay, how does how does our process work with this? And I think you said, I was talking to you earlier, and we actually ended up just moving back to Slack pretty recently. And the main reason for that was because um, in the beginning, Twist encouraged you to use Zapier for, for any like webhooks that you want to put in channels. And they had an API, but they were just like, yeah, just use Zapier. And so Zapier works great, Zapier, Zapier, whatever, it works great. But then, in, then your events start growing and suddenly you're paying money for it. So we were paying like just under $70 a month just for Zapier, Wow! just for notifications. And so I was looking at Slack. I was like, well, that's free. That's free with Slack. So we can move back to Slack and actually pay for it because with Twist, we're still using the free plan. And so I think after a couple of months, you start losing message history. So I was like, well, we can cut our bill in half and move to Slack and have a business plan on Slack. So that way we have unlimited history, unlimited notifications and all that stuff. Plus the it's hard to it's hard to compete with just the number of integrations that Slack has out of the box, right? Oh yeah. It's so there's just so much stuff. We just a couple clicks in your you're in there. I mean Exactly. Yeah. So we, we move back to Slack and it's it's great. It's great. Like so I don't know. I think maybe I think maybe like we are looking for greener pastures with with the channels, but then we're like, oh, this doesn't necessarily work for how we work. It's a great it's a great idea, and I'm sure it works great for a lot of people. It just doesn't work great for us, so we ended up moving back. So this year, like aside from the programming stuff, I think there's been a lot of exploration into like how do we communicate effectively, how can we solve problems effectively as a team, and what can we do, what tools do we need to facilitate that? Yeah, and I, it sounds like you're trending in the right direction maybe if you haven't found the right combination of tools yet for your team 
but it sounds like it's definitely definitely an improvement. You found things that work, you found yeah. some things that don't work, and you just kind of go from there. So that's cool. It's cool to uh, see that transition from the outside, at least for me. So like in, in adding a second developer, I think it's helped me cope with stress a lot more because theoretically there is, I have half the amount of stress now and I just gave Paul half of my stress, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think I don't think that math checks out, but okay. Yeah. Um, it's just nice to have somebody else. And especially since we're in, we're about to be in the same time zone, but in staggered time zones, I can sign out for the day. I know Paul's around for a few more hours and I'm awake. So we just have more overlap in having someone that's actually on the clock, kind of there looking at things. That's mainly for just support and and errors and, and bugs and things like that. But that's that's been nice. Uh, sanity checking has been nice too. So I'll make, I make stupid mistakes, mistakes all day long. And the Paul would be like, oh, did you think about that? Or what about this? Or actually pretty recently, we've been more formally using GitHub's pull requests or not pull requests, code review features. Uh, because, you know, you just get busy and things slip through the cracks. But if there's two of you being busy and things are slipping through the cracks, uh, it's just frustrating. So we had a couple of weeks that were just rough because like a lot of these just small, annoying bugs were happening. And it, it was nothing major, thankfully. It was just annoying things that required small hotfixes. So Paul and I are like, you know what? Let's just let's just start using this pull request feature. It's not like we need to just rush to ship things out the door. Like year one, I felt like that was a huge thing was I just have to be shipping all the time, all right? And now the app is much, much more complicated and larger. So yeah, we can be shipping more than like an enterprise company does because we ship we ship updates to the app nearly daily. But it's not like I need to rush to get those things out the door. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, from the outside, it seems like you guys are making ton of headway like the just steaming forward on on the progress it's really really cool uh it still surprises me how how quickly <laughs> you guys are able to develop things i don't know yeah. it's just you know when when you're not it's just from an outside perspective right you obviously don't know yeah yeah how much work is actually going into it but it sure it sure looks productive from the outside and I, you know that's bodes well for your team as well right yeah for me it's an interesting distinction between like object-oriented programming the abstractions that come with that versus how I see it as a, a much simpler uh, process in Elixir and mostly functional programming. To me, you just you just lose a lot of having to think about inheritance and all this stuff. I don't have to think about that ever, uh, unless I'm using structs, which that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to consider those things and think about those things. But and I'm not like I don't think object-oriented programming is bad by any stretch of the stretch of the imagination. It's just that I ident- like whatever for whatever reason Elixir's way of building things really clicks with me and it allows it seems to be clicking with paul and it allows us to move relatively uh quickly yeah it's nice that you have that sort of developer happiness aspect of it like you like kind of inspired by the way ruby and rails and stuff was designed but at the same time you get all these other uh benefits of you know running on the beam and uh you know all this other kind of language guarantees. Yeah, I mean, I wish we could use Beam more. We have to. We're still using Redis because we're on Heroku, uh, and maybe that's something that'll change in the future. But I don't have necessarily like if that's the biggest incentive to move, then I don't know if it's enough incentive to move. You know? Sure. Because really, it's about the DB stuff. Like with with because we're on Heroku, we get literal timestamp rollbacks. I can type a timestamp and roll my database back to that timestamp. That's a pretty big deal to me. <laughs> Uh, not that I've had to use it, but just knowing it exists is is huge. Knock on wood. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, not that that you know, like we just had like a few minutes of downtime because Heroku had some weird hiccup thing. But so far, there hasn't been enough windfall of leaving to actually justify the incurred maintenance costs that we would have to pick up. Sure. Because I remember earlier in the year, you were looking at you're experimenting with different containerized 
uh, solutions, hosting your own, and yep. it was a uh, you know it's an interesting path to go down. But if it's if it's not worth you know, it sounds like it wasn't worth the effort to to make that transition for you yet. I mean, you're running on still only two dinos, right? On Heroku. Yep. And that's been fine. One one worker. Well, yeah, yeah. Two dinos, one worker, and one in production. Yeah. But two instances of it. Yeah, it's it's fine. Um, it's it's great. We're still only using less than half of our RAM, <laughs> so <laughs> it's fine. Uh, we spend more money on our front end servers than than the back end servers. Oh, huh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So what else? I am thinking about new technology that we introduced. Uh, GraphQL via AppSynth. That's that's been great. We've been slowly moving over to that, uh, kind of piece by piece as we go, and it's been really nice. The workflow around GraphQL is is very nice. Uh, making changes to the API is very nice. Like I, I think I talked about in a couple episodes ago, not having to think about views ever is great. Uh, we introduced Nuxt.js. So we we performed a splitting of the API and the client this year. So now our app is a server-side rendered uh, spa and that runs on Nuxt and Express. And I think the only other thing that we introduced this year was Elasticsearch. And that was specifically so that way we could just have a better search experience, uh, stemming and just, I don't know, Elasticsearch is, is a highly specialized tool for searching, plain text, you know? So we introduced that to, to solve a number of small annoyances that we were having in, on our, on our, or with our, you know, customer searching and stuff like that. But other than that, like, no, there hasn't really been any new technologies added, just GraphQL, which is a part of Elixir, Nux, which was already, you know, it's a part of the Vue ecosystem, which we've already been using. So really the new foreign technology we've added was Elasticsearch. Right. And for a while you were using the Postgres plain text search as kind of a stopgap, which was fine up to a point, mm-hmm. right? Until you needed the kind of more powerful features of, of Elasticsearch. It's workable. Like PG stuff is workable. And I could have probably put more effort into solving some of the problems on the PG side, but but really integrating Elasticsearch indexing wasn't hard. So we, we only have a limited number of ways that you can create and modify a product in our app. And that happens in the marketplace context. So DK.marketplace. And so all we had to do to add the index was literally... So we have a module that's kind of like a callback module. It's not necessarily callbacks, but it's just a collection of functions that need to run after a product changes. So we need to do things like we have a logged table. So that way we can actually trace the history of product changes on a product. So if the customers ask like, you know, when when did this product price change or when did that attribute change, we can actually see when that changed and who changed it. Uh, so that needs to be ticked and the search index needs to be updated as well. So if product name changes, we have to re-index the, uh, or we have to submit a re-index to the Elasticsearch server. And so those happen uh, in, you know, just in a couple of spots. So it was really easy to kind of integrate that. We... We ended up just making a callbacks module like marketplace.products.callbacks or something. And then I can't remember what the function name is because Paul did it. But yeah, so if if the product is successfully updated in our database, you just do like callbacks.whatever function name. And that does all the things that we need to do where if it's like making a new log entry and re-indexing the product or we can we can expand upon that, you know. But yeah, the context, the way the context work or the way that context help you design your application made it pretty easy to integrate that. Right, because that's another thing that you and I sort of both went through this year was migrating. Because Phoenix 1.3? Mm-hmm. No, I guess that was last year. But basically migrating over to this the concept of contexts and, and con- you know, containerizing, not containerizing, but compartmentalizing each 
uh, responsibility of your application into into different surface level like a- application APIs, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we went down the whole path of like, oh, maybe every context should have its own version of the schema that maps to the same table, and that ended up being overly complicated. You know, now you just have this is flat basically like a models folder, right? You call it the data, Yep. right? And it just has all your schemas and the context still have their individual responsibilities, but uh, you don't have this, uh, you know, duplication of, of schemas. And I think that as, as far as, you know, you've grown so far, it seems to have been a good decision, I think. That was absolutely the best decision that we could have made in that situation because I mean, partially because of the time frame at which we had to... It was like a combination of things, right? So when I started rewriting Design Collective, Phoenix 1.2 was out and then Phoenix 1.3 was released, like in the middle. Right. Uh, so then I was like, oh, shoot, well, I should probably be using context. So let me like, I was already kind of a third of the way through, you know? So there's certainly some crud that still lays around. But I think like one of the mistakes I made was like, oh, we can just use namespace, like module namespaces as a sort of authorization or like permission. So if, if like you have products and dk.marketplace.browse.products. Like the browse products module only has like publicly accessible things in it or functions that return information that's publicly accessible, whereas a control panel might return more. I mean, that, I think that's the wrong way to do it, but it made it made converting uh, the app from Ruby to Elixir like very, very quick, a uh, quick work because it removed the need to like write and add all of the policy tests, which I think is the correct way to do it. Right, I think we should probably just have marketplace.products and then have a policy that enforces enforces rules basically between the controller and the context. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, like having we were splitting, uh, we were redefining tables, which I felt like was kind of a recommended way to 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 build Phoenix apps and use Acto was to be like if you have a control panel dot product uh, context, you would have control panel dot product um, Acto schema, and then if you had a, a marketplace dot product products context, you would also have a marketplace dot product Acto schema. But turns out when you have a dozen, it becomes way more difficult. Like that's it works great in theory, right? Because con like the the corresponding context schemas only need to know they only they only have what they need to know about, right? But when you expand that to dozens of schemas, then it becomes much, much more difficult. And moving them to dk.data.product.store.whatever made it so much easier. Yeah, having the separate schemas really tickles the organizational part of your brain. It's like, okay, each thing has its own little little space. I'm going to put in this little corner here. But that's not how your application works. Your application works by the relationships between all those different things. Mm-hmm. And if you box things off, suddenly like you have to do all this extra work just to th- piece it back together again. Yep. And it's not like you're protecting anyone. Like You're, you're only coding against yourself. <laughs> yep. I think Really, it comes down to like how much friction it takes to add a new thing. And to me, like there's, you know, from my experience, and I think you'll agree that like there should be as little friction as possible to add new contexts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or or functions to a context. You're you're changing you're changing and adding features very often. Uh, schemas and data, not so much, right? Exactly. Like you, you only go in and touch those every once in a while. So it's like the the you should be empowered to just add functions and modules willy-nilly because that's kind of the, the beauty of it so yeah yeah and that's and that's what i think that's what it comes down to that's where we're where you kind of settled in at there's a lot of refactor I need to do to kind of unify the old way of working the the, the pseudo like t- t- phoenix 2 to like phoenix or phoenix 1.2 to phoenix 1.3 kind of stuff there's a lot of that in there 
but we're slowly moving we're slowly moving it like merging it together yeah and it's it's getting better and the big schema change like i mentioned moving them all into one namespace like you said those hardly ever change unless we're adding a column or changing a column but those just kind of chill there and and if we really needed to only provide a subset of data then you when you're getting the data out why not just use select you know instead of redefining these tables all over the place or these these schemas all over the place it's it kind of sucked. Like it, again, it sounded great. Like, oh, here's a couple of articles that describe doing that. That looks awesome. But again, the article is like, here's how you make a blog. And Design Collective has a blog and also 20 other features. Right. I think someone asked me how many tables we have. Let me look. Yeah, one of my friends was like, well, how many tables do you guys have? And I told them, they're like, how, how many, how, like, why do you need so many tables? That's a weird metric because it, really, it doesn't really mean anything. We have more than 50. Okay. Sounds about right. Right. Yeah. They, I mean, so they work on like a journalistic application. And so they were like, oh, that's so many tables. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> that's so many. That's like, we could easily have, we should probably have way more. For example, we have a lot, we're starting to add more. Um, and this is going into 2019. One of the goals that we want is just more accountability features. Like for example, being able to know who changed a product's price when, or who changed what about a product when. That's a pretty big deal, I think. Yeah. It's nice to have that paper trail accountability yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, you, you were talking to me earlier this week, how you actually had to use that for a support issue, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's well, it, part of it is because like some stores, you know, some stores, they, they will have our inventory team put their inventory up and manage their inventory. And so they'll send us information, but all the, the information they send us isn't always correct. Or uh, conversely, we can make a mistake too. You know, it's just, that's part of data entry is, is having mistakes happen. And and really, the most important thing is like being able to pinpoint where that happened or where the where the source of that came from. Not to like throw anyone under the bus or anything like that. It's just more importantly knowing because not knowing is not a good thing. Like if you can't tell your customer, yeah, this is when that changed, then that that sows a, a seed of um, not division, but just like of distrust, I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And knowing's half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. Exactly. But. I mean, we're, we we take we take stock of a lot of things in Design Collective. It's partly why we have a lot of tables and it's growing. But yeah, the accountability stuff, I think, think is think is huge. So I mean, how we did that, it was pretty simple. It's just an action. I think Paul did it in like an afternoon and shipped it. So take that enterprise. <laughs> but yeah, it's just an action log table. It's actually pretty cool. It's an, it's called action logs. And then another big change from like the year before to this year was just approaching how we do like how we structure tables because. Before it was all all we all I knew was like Rails polymorphism, and if you go into the Ecto docs and read about polymorphism, they're like, here's why that's not the best idea, or here's why we think that the simpler approach is better, right? So action logs can can be really like logging anything. Right now they just log products, and so an action log belongs to a product by the foreign key product ID. But if we wanted to have a store action log as well for when store information changes, we would just add another foreign key. And so any action logs belonging to a store just have a product ID that's nil or they will only have a store ID, right? Right. Uh, and that's pretty simple. Well, you could you could say something like, ew, you have foreign keys there. That's gross. Like foreign keys that are nil. But in my mind, it's like, why is that gross? Why would you, you know? Yeah. You don't, there, you, it's like extra layers of abstraction there are not needed. Yeah, there's not an infinite number of things you're going to attach action logs to. There's exactly. a small, finite number. And yeah, yeah, nail columns. It's not like they're taking up space or anything. Right. Yeah. So we have action logs. The foreign key that it belongs to or what it's, whatever it's tracking is there. And then uh, there's a changes column, which really just, it's a JSON column in Postgres. And I think we're storing change set dot changes. So whatever changes are happening in a change set, we just serialize that in a JSON and put it in the column. Oh, nice. So theoretically, we could walk a change back by 
pulling the changes out of the change set and running them through, um, or pulling the changes out of the column and running it into a change set in Ecto. So basically, you're just on the slow march to towards uh, event sourcing. Yes. Everything. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So if you had to summarize kind of the theme of 2018 and maybe where you think you're going to go overarching theme for next year, could you do it? And what would it be? An overarching theme? Sure. 100%, yeah. So, I mean, based off of some feedback, so Lindsay has some friends that are investors and, and, and so she talks to them occasionally and they gave us some really good feedback, some really you know encouraging feedback. And and one of the best pieces of feedback we got was, you know, singular focus. So we have kind of, we kind of have two customers and our main customer is a store and, and our, and a tangential customer to that would be someone purchasing from a store. When you say two customers, you mean two types of customers, two types of customers, two actual, yeah, yeah. Two types of customers. Okay. Our, our most important customer would be stores because they pay us a monthly subscription, right? So uh, that's, that's the most important type, but our stores important, you know, something important for them to have is, is online checkouts because that's not certainly the only thing we give them is an e-commerce that advertises you're going to get tons of e-commerce, like online checkouts because we make a lot of tools to help them market their business and help them. Like that's the, that's the main goal of Design Collective is giving, we're a tools-based business. So you sign up, you have some needs, we have tools that you can use to fill, fulfill those needs, right? And and so it's really easy to get really focused on the overall traffic of Design Collective and the overall number of e-commerce purchases. And in so doing that, you're kind of watering down your focus on providing tools for the stores, right? So it's not that the the other customers, people purchasing from the stores shouldn't be a focus, but really the store should be the main focus. And if we're doing that right, the checkouts will come in time because then the store is able to market themselves better, which means that they have more eyes on them, more contacts, et cetera. So that means that people will, you know, that should mean that people will be purchasing from them more often, right? Yeah. It's kind of like a Rube Goldberg, like you exactly. you empower the stores and they have the better tools and they'll bring the customers and, you know, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So so for the next year, my main, my main focus uh, is just to have a more, just a more robust um, experience for stores. Because right now the store admin, a lot of it's still just basic crud stuff which works great, but it works great for people that are tech savvy. And a lot of our customers aren't necessarily tech savvy or they're busy or they're in a rush, right? And there's a lot we can do to improve upon making that just a better experience, a faster experience. So like if you're a store owner and you're wanting to create a coupon, well, you probably want to notify all of your contacts of a new coupon, right? So why, why wouldn't we build that into part of creating a new coupon is just being able to send that out. Uh, instead of saying like, okay, well now you have a now you have a coupon, now you got to go over to this other page, and you have to like create a note like a, a newsletter basically that goes out to your customers. That should probably be just one quick process, right? Yeah, right, exactly. You and I are used to thinking of yeah, like you said, crud schema oriented, you know, individual controllers or something instead of really what what's the workflow? What's what's the person trying to do, and not what the underlying representation is? Yeah, so that's the good that's a good way to describe it. Is like uh, we're thinking more about the workflow now than than just getting baseline features in. So we're still adding features, but the the new feature add-on has like slowed because we have most of what we need, and so now we're like doing passes on refining and thinking about the workflow. So that's that's my big goal for. 2019 is is to like spend as much time as I can there and, and 
kind of fleshing that stuff out. Nice. And plus, you got some other cool new stuff coming down the pipe. You've got Stripe Connect, I believe it's called, or Stripe Checkout. Stripe Checkout? The uh, the point of sale thing. Oh, well, yeah, hopefully. We'll see about that. Yeah, like that'll be cool. And you mentioned like maybe building some chat in, which is like a, one of those things that's a bit... Oh, sorry, I'm stressing you out. I'll no, it's stop. good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> It's like that, yeah, for our stores specifically, basically, so that way customers can reach out to them directly. We have that via email, but yeah, we have we have a plan for that. But um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot a lot of things coming up. But really, like if I had an overarching theme, it would be workflow. I like it. Put that on a sticky note. Yeah, stick to your monitor. I need to do that. So uh, what about what about you in 2018? Yeah, so I was looking back through my really the best source of history for me is actually going through like my Git commit logs and figuring out oh, like, what What actually did I work on, <laughs> right? Because a, a year ago is is uh, it's quite a long time. It does feel like a totally different time. And what's interesting is actually the things I didn't complete, and that lends itself to the theme of 2018. So I started or tried to finish a lot of relatively large projects, right? If you remember uh, early on when I joined the show, I was working on this piece of hardware that was for like Morse code keying, yep. right? And I got really, really deep into uh, doing board design and circuits and testing and writing Arduino code and writing, you know, software interface with that. And it was a whole project and it started getting actually pretty expensive and using taking up a ton of time. I could do it, but it's not one of my strengths. And then the, the amount of time it took to do it was ended up not really being worth it, especially with some of the new directions we're going to be taking uh, some of our hardware in the future. So like it didn't, really makes sense to finish it. It was a cool proof of concept. It it mostly worked. Uh, we made a small batch of these hardware things, but like it didn't go anywhere. We don't have anyone using them. We're just, they're just sitting here, right? So that was kind of, I don't know if it was a failure, but it was like, it was just something that got reprioritized, right? Based off of things that were changing. And then additionally, on the software side of things, I had been trying to finish up a quote unquote rewrite of RHR, like the server application, which is still, you know, primarily all Rails. Uh, I thought it'd be cool to do it in Phoenix and and also add this new feature, uh, a logbook feature as like a standalone service, like a different, you know, thing that's separate from RHR that could be built on Phoenix and that people could pay for without being an RHR member. It'd be this whole other like revenue stream. Mm-hmm. And like that didn't go anywhere either. It just was so big and complex and we had so many other priorities that it just kind of got petered out and got shelved. Mm-hmm. It's not really a good pattern to get into, but what it does highlight is the fact that what I was able to ship makes it, it really just shows a the difference there. So like when I was doing that Phoenix rewrite, I was like, oh man, like this is, it's okay. It's good. But really the, the whole reason I wanted to switch to Phoenix was because of the really good WebSocket support and all those other things. So I was like, well, why don't I just do the one thing that Phoenix is good at and make it small and drop in replacement and just release it and get it out there and get it in production. Right. And that's what I did. I I refocused. I, like you said, focused on one doing one thing really, really well, right? And that actually worked. It's in production. It's actually been hugely beneficial. I've been able to push releases uh, without doing code restarts. So I've been doing hot code upgrades, which has been a which has been a huge quality of life improvement for me and for the users. Everything's faster, uh, using fewer server resources, saving money, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was all these great benefits. And it just was able, I was able to get it done because it was so small and complete and focused. And yeah. that's kind of been, that's what's been working for us now with the size of the application in the company, right? It's It's to a point where doing major rewrites is not going to be a win. It's not going to gain you anything. You don't have a greenfield application. If you did, it'd be great. But that's, it's just not, 
it's not feasible for one developer working uh, an application of this size. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems stupid in retrospect, right? It's like, oh yeah, of course. But you get really excited. Yeah, yeah, you do <laughs> really easily. Yeah, and we've we've always talked about every year or every meeting really we have. We're like, okay, we're just gonna the business is at a good spot. We're just gonna sit back and you know stop expanding the business. We're just gonna let things ride and you know kind of make back some of our investment you know, time and money that we've put into the business and, mm-hmm. and just work on keeping things running and, 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 uh, doing small improvements. And I think this year we actually finally did that. Like we, we didn't do any huge station build outs. We didn't, you know, and the, the code releases I did were, like I said, kind of small and incremental. It's just been, it's just been a lot of incremental improvements. It's just improving the user experience. It's improving developer experience, right? And just trying to focus on on those things without trying to, you know, change the world. So that's been a good trend for us at this point. I mean, I bet that feels really good too. It is. It is nice not to have to worry about like growth and what's the next big thing and, you know, freaking out about, you know, new stuff that's going to break and give you additional support requirements and additional bugs and developer support and all that stuff yeah I, that, that does sound nice that's i mean that's what we've been doing this month kind of is that quality, we're not doing anything any new features through the end of the year we're just we've just been simply fixing bugs and making small enhancements yeah it's a good spot to be in for sure to take advantage of that time before you know something other big comes along and you gotta refocus but yeah we, you and I have kind of had, as far as new tech is concerned, we've had kind of parallel things and we've both been adopting GraphQL on Absinthe, which has been awesome. Um, I'm very, very nearly done with this front end uh, rewrite, which I know I just said like rewrites are not really something we've been doing, but this is very small and compartmentalized, right? It's again, it's just another drop in replacement. Then when it's done, hopefully within the next few weeks, uh, knock on wood, <laughs> yeah. that it will, uh, it will, again, it'll make changes easier it'll be faster it'll be a better user experience so uh in view nuxt have made that possible of course tailwind css has been pretty great i just mm. kind of try that and that's been it's just made it a lot faster for me to sort of get this out there in the sense that i don't have to worry about building new styles i can restyle things kind of on the fly and but still customize it to give it sort of a unique look for my application so it's not so bootstrappy that's been that's been real nice uh, on the developer end, I've been I've embraced prettier JS and obviously, you know, Phoenix auto formatter, pretty much auto formatting all the things. Mm, I like that. has been massively helpful. And by the way, uh, I was finally able to get prettier working on view components. So not only the JS, but also the HTML templates, which I've been wanting for a long time and they finally just released. So thank God. So I don't have to worry about that anymore. I just ran prettier through <laughs> through the yeah. whole Nuxt application. God, I should do that. Just globbed all the view files and committed it. I'm always scared to do that. Like I, I haven't done that with so so Elixir's formatter and prettier on our on the JS side are just like blowing our divs to hell. Uh, but I'm so scared to just do it in one swoop and then commit it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's it does make your diffs tricky. But if you do it one commit, at least your your history is mostly clean, except for that one discontinuity, right? Sure. Yeah. But I mean, like, what if the formatter breaks something? <laughs> it literally can't, though. I mean, you the, don't know that. You no, know, like, you don't know that. <sighs> you're right. I don't. But the Elixir <laughs> format has pretty good guarantees. I mean, it literally compares the two syntax trees before and after, and if they're different, mm, really, it it won't do it. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in that case, where's my terminal? There's a uh, 
there's a flag for that actually. I don't know if it does it by default. There's a flag you have to uh, do to to do it because it's a little slower, obviously. But I'll follow. I'll follow up with you on that. Definitely. Yeah. So that's kind of been what it's been like. I'm really excited to get this this Nox application out there and leave jQuery behind in the early 2000s. <laughs> I bet that would be nice. I bet it feels nice. Thanks. Yeah, I know. This is really exciting. Uh, we we talked about last week about how just nicer it is maintenance wise than your than your jQuery app. So yeah, I I am excited for you to get that out and and I'm sure people the curmudgeons are going to be like this is different. I don't like it. But um I'm excited to hear how life is with the Nuxt app out the door. Yeah, definitely. As far as 2019 goes, I know I asked you and now of course I haven't I don't have an answer for myself. The overarching theme for 2019? I want to say more of the same, but that's kind of a cop-out answer. We do have a lot of a lot of big projects we want to we want to get out there. We I do want to get this next thing out there. I do want to it'd be nice to get our billing situation sorted. Right now we're still using FreshBooks, which has been great up to a point, but it's really past the point where uh it works for us in the way we want it to. So uh, I'd like to revisit that. It's one of those projects that I kind of have tried to start two or three times mm-hmm. uh, and just never really completed. I think being able to focus on that would be nice. Um, really, I guess the thing we're always trying to do is to make the application, the business run itself uh, from minimal interaction with us. And and billing and support are probably the two biggest pieces of human interaction that we have with our customers. And if we can minimize or eliminate those things that's that's just a win right that's just saving time yeah and and money and effort and frustration and frees up more time to you know work on cool new things for everyone so i think that's going to be our focus is going to be you know just not self sustainability but sort of hands off hands off functioning right cuz we already we already have enough on our hands with keeping the stations running and you know keeping just just regular support right mm-hmm. uh why why bring more burden on that on yourself so yeah you know and that's going to come down to documentation it's going to come down to videos education but also just improving the tools right if 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 the front end is better and and more self-explanatory that's that's less support for us so yeah that's that's true it all kind of it all kind of has together so i think I think that's the direction I'd like to go. Whether we actually go there or not, you know, remains to be seen. But <laughs> how time works. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's the whole thing, you know. I guess we'll see if we can uh make it work. Do the things that we want to do. It's it's tough because it feels like there's so much pressure just to be able to pivot on on a dime, right? Especially in the startup world, but yeah, I guess at, at a certain point you've hedged your bets, you've made what you think is going to work and really making like making that successful comes down to documentation and education and polish you know i think i think that's something that gets lost in that sometimes like the rat race of startup agility is is having a certain level of polish yeah it's it's a balancing act right because you it's the uh the old 80 20 rule comes into effect where you know the last 20 percent, the polish is is a surprising amount of work yeah it really is i mean i know much i know how much time you spend on documentation and you know, both internally and externally, I think, right? Yeah. It's it's funny because the other day I was mentioning to Paul, I was like, you know, one thing I'm starting to realize or one thing I don't want to realize is that my job is actually emailing and communication, <laughs> emailing and phone calls and writing. And that's what my that's what my title requires me to do, but we just don't have enough staff for me to do only that. So I write a lot of code. <laughs> 
But it's like this thing that I'm realizing that I don't necessarily want to realize is that, yeah, I do enjoy writing the code a lot, but that's not necessarily what my role is and where, you know, my biggest wins will come from. My biggest wins eventually will come from making, you know, making sure our staff is on the same page, making sure our staff is empowered to do their best jobs. And if that is writing code or, you know, installing Slack apps, whichever one it is, it's, that's what I should be doing. And right now it just happens that we don't have enough staff to where... I can focus solely on that. So yeah, well, it all goes back to your code is not your business, right? Your code is just a, a means to an end. Yeah, it's true. Your business is your business. Code doesn't make you money, but things you can do to, you know, it can make you money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's not. That's not. It's just. It's just what means the end. It's just a tool. You could be. You could be manually on the phone with with customers and stores and doing everything a hundred percent by yourself. There could be. You could have no web application, right? You, you, your your business might still work. You could still be providing tools for for stores. And uh, I don't know. It's just entirely a manual process. It'd be difficult. It might not be feasible from business perspective, but you could do it. Yeah. This is just the the tool set in the space you're working in. So when I was working for Agilent and working on at a fairly low level of hardware development, right? Quote unquote firmware, right? You're, we're working on like not even code that any user sees. It's it's the code that the front end talks to, which then talks to the hardware. We're that interface layer. And like, it's really easy to get stuck in the mindset like, oh, I'm just a developer. Like I just have to do the things that are asked of me and write the code and release it without, maybe without, I won't say without questioning it, but like, you know, just, just, just checking off the boxes and getting the issues closed. But some of the best work that I did that benefited us as a team and as a company was actually like directly interfacing with customers, right? Like I wasn't necessarily on the phone with them, but I was writing feature specific things for customers and understanding their needs and developing it from a sort of bottom up interface where like we would build a foundation so that they could get the data they needed out of the boxes in a fast way and in an accurate way and so on. Yeah. And so like that on one hand, everyone in my team was telling me, like, don't don't reply to the customers. Like, let your boss handle that or let marketing handle with that. You talk to marketing and marketing talks to them. And but really what ended up happening was that it was just easier to just interface directly with them and, and understand their needs directly. And we we, you know, were able to sell new features that I built because of that. So it's you really don't want to pigeonhole yourself, even at a big company like that where everyone has those individual roles, it still uh, has value too you know, diversify what you do. Yeah. Running a company is hard. Turns out. Turns out. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Well, uh... Would you rather be doing anything else, though? Mm, well, you want me to answer that honestly? <laughs> Up to you. It depends. It depends. I, I mean, yeah, there are other things I could certainly be doing than this, but um, it goes back to the discussion we had last week where I enjoy programming and yeah, I do it as a job. It's easier to swallow that pill maybe than than playing music because I'm more comfortable doing this for a job. But I feel like if I were to be doing something else for a job, programming would become that um, safe haven there where you go to to enjoy it for a while, kind of like playing guitar. Sure. If that even answers answers the question. But No, that's that makes sense. Yeah. I could see that. But in the meantime you gotta keep doing doing what you're doing and doing it well. So Yeah. Well here's to uh here's to a good twenty nineteen I'm glad this year's over. Uh, I'm glad for a new year. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. Who knows what what new uh, tools and adventures and challenges await us? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, we're I'm generally interested uh, in what people have to think about our directions that we want to go in. And also, I would love to hear about 
where people want to take their companies and their work, I'm always, you know, just really interested to, I mean, that's what our show is, is like, I'm interested to hear what you're working on and where you're taking that. And so, yeah, I would love to hear from more people, whether it's on Twitter or Discord or whatever, email, just what you're working on and, and where you want to take that and, and, and stuff. So yeah, we'd love to hear some, some feedback on that. At DNC show on Twitter uh, is one place you can reach us. Sean is Sean Washbot. I'm Shrockwell. Uh, or if you want to uh, have more longer discussion, spectrum.chat. We're hanging out over there. Tell us, tell us your stories. Tell us about how your 2018 went. Any cool new things you discovered. But Sean uh, likes to churn through editors. Yeah. So if you found any cool new tools, <laughs> I can't help it. let us know. Take notes about the show, things that we mentioned in links. We store them at dnc.show. So if you're interested and want to find anything that we talked about, you can head on to dnc.show and check those out. Also, thanks again to Spec, the Spec Network, the wonderful Spec Network for having us. They take good care of us, and we 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 are very appreciative of them. And if you're into other design and development related podcasts, you should definitely check out other shows on the network at uh, Spec.fm. Yeah, and uh, I'm also, of course, I didn't mention this, but I'm really happy to be on the podcast with you. It's been it's been fun, couple months, and uh, looking forward to continuing this for the for the future. This is almost like a like a Thanksgiving episode. Like, what am I thankful for? But yeah, thanks for having me, dude. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for thanks for swooping in and, and hopping on the show. It has been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to another year of it. Like I said, for me, it's kind of like therapy and people are just listening to that. Uh, I would prefer it to be more interactive, you know, to, so we can have therapy together with all of our listeners. But I appreciate you uh, being around. Group therapy. Yeah, group therapy. Yeah, thanks, man. And we're also uh, thankful for Mikhail Delport, who edits all our episodes and makes us sound better than we actually are. And uh, for Sarah Jackson for producing all the episodes as well. Cool. Happy New Year, man. I'll talk to you uh, Talk to you later. I'll talk to you on the other coast. Oh, yeah. See ya. See ya. Thanks again to Sentry.io for sponsoring Does Not Compute. Stop waiting for users to report errors. Iterate faster, improve customer happiness, and make a better product with Sentry's comprehensive error reporting platform. Check them out at Sentry.io. like butter and toast from headlines deadlines pool rooms to school rooms like no other place in the contiguous united states or elsewhere